Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, pig farrowing crates. About 60% of New Zealand's pigs give birth in these, and they're so contentious, nobody can even agree what to call them. Some call them the maternity ward for sows, protecting the piglets from being crushed to death. Others say they're harmful to the sows' mental and physical health. The government calls them crates. We believe pen is a better descriptor uh, of what the device is for the operation of farrowing pigs. So what would you say to people who call it a cage then? I think that's a dramatisation of of what that actually is. The crates are not against the law now, but they soon will be. And that's come with a big warning. The pork industry is worried new proposed government regulations for pig farmers will result in 60,000 piglet deaths a year. These changes, if they're implemented, could wipe out the pig industry. It's really complicated, and the pig in the middle, it seems, is the farmer. We definitely don't feel that farmers who actually work in the industry and know how this works in practice um, have had a say at all in developing these, and that's very disappointing. So today we look at the crates, the court case and the controversy. This is a farrowing crate. The sow is kept here during the final days of pregnancy and while the piglets are suckling. It enables the sow to sit down uh, gently and then lay down without crushing piglets. So they're a tight fit so that they, the sows can lie down and stand up but they can't turn around and they uh, have bars down either side of them to, to stop them being able to, to turn around. Helen Beatty is a vet who specialises in the science of animal welfare. She started Veterinarians for Animal Welfare Aotearoa. She says she's pro-farming but she's also pro-welfare. How long have farmers been using them in New Zealand? Uh, for as long as I can remember, Sharon, and I'm nearly 50, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've certainly been an established piece of um, equipment that's used in pig farming for a very long period of time. Are they against the law? <laughs> so, strictly speaking, right now, given the facilities we have within our law, the answer to that question is no. Part of the reason why this conversation has come up and the amount of conflict that there is in, in and amongst the uh, animal welfare world, amongst pig farmers and everybody else who's involved, is because there is a completely clear understanding that actually the ongoing use of farrowing crates, so that's in perpetuity, um, is illegal and that that is the bottom line. So when it all boils down to what we're really talking about, farrowing crates in themselves from a specific date are going to have to go. They are actually illegal according to the way our law works here in this country. And that specific date, is that 2025? (laughs) Yeah, I was fudging on that a little bit because there's there's quite a complex piece of uh, legal history around how we got to this point. Animal Welfare Act came in in 1999. That was a great a great piece of work that was done. It was pulled out of the biscuit tin and it was uh, had been put in there by um, Pete Hodgson, who was a retired veterinarian, it's worth noting. <laughs> and that process of drafting the Act and then getting it through its readings and then in law finally happened uh, in 1999. Now, when that happened, there was a Clause 73, which allowed for some practices that were being used in farming at that time 
uh, were considered to be an exceptional circumstance, and that meant that they could continue to be used in, until such time as a viable alternative came up, and that meant that at that time farrowing crates could be used. In 2015, we did another significant amendment to our Act, and this is a, a very important piece of New Zealand's animal welfare history because we were the first country in the world to include the word sentient in our, our primary legislation. And we'll get back to that word sentient and what it means. But as part of those amendments in 2015, there was the opportunity to develop regulations. And there were two pathways, one for compliant farming practices and another for those considered non-compliant, those exceptional circumstances that Helen referred to earlier. So you'd think the farrowing crates would fit under the non-compliant section. But no, because there was no alternative to the crates, MPI and the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee, or NAWAC, put them under the compliance section. That meant they could be used in perpetuity, forever. End of story? Not quite. In 2020, a High Court found the use of farrowing crates for pigs unlawful, ordering new legislation to phase them out. The New Zealand Animal Law Association took uh, MPI, the Minister of Agriculture and the Attorney-General to court and there was a, a judicial review and they said, you've drafted them under the wrong regulation. They should go in the second bit, which says that this is a non-compliant practice. It doesn't meet the minimum requirements of the Act and therefore they have a phase-out period. That phase-out period is now the 19th of December 2025, which is 10 years since that, that significant law change happened. So in the space of 10 years, pig farmers were told farrowing crates were out, then they were back in, and finally they're out. This is what's causing a lot of stress for these farmers um, and, and for the pork industry because they're now on a very truncated timeline. And, you know, we, I certainly feel for them about that because it has been very messy getting to this point. And, you know, I can understand that with, you know, less than 24 months to run on that, um, there's, they feel like there's not a lot of time to, not, not a lot of wriggle room. We've gone from a, a system that was recognised as the only way we could effectively and safely do it to a great deal of uncertainty now. Our investment in the future is we feel in, in jeopardy and uh, we're really disheartened. So that's why I, I do have sympathy for them because that was a very messy period between 2015, they would have been expecting it was non-compliant, they would get phased out. 2018, they were told, actually, you're good, there's no phase out. And then 2020, we're back to, actually, there's a phase out. So it has been really messy and I think that, that lack of certainty during that period of time um, certainly will be adding stress. But to your point, it had been signalled for a long time before that, that actually these were clearly non-compliant. And they are non-compliant. Like, sows cannot exhibit normal behaviours whilst they are in crates. So they can't turn around, they can't nest. So sows really like to build nests. It's, it's very cute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they like to manipulate, they're given straw, but, you know, out in the uh, forest, the bush, whatever, it would have been, you know, grass and sticks and so on, and things to make an area to, to lie down and give birth. And they're really driven to do that behaviour. Um, and even now, even though these sows have been bred, you know, in an intensive system for decades and decades, they still are really, really strongly driven to do that behaviour. So, of course, farrowing crates doesn't allow them to do that because they've got nothing in front of them. It's a barren environment. 
but additionally, they can't mother properly. So they are big animals. So yes, there is um, piglet crushing, and I'm sure we're going to come to that part of the conversation. Mm. But they also don't have the ability to mother the piglets that they do have. Um, so just you know, normal maternal behaviours that uh, we would expect to see from you know pigs if they were free ranging. That's then linked to um, other impacts for the piglets that don't uh, don't grow as well. And there's some other papers around other specific things too. And that brings us back to the word sentient. Remember, New Zealand became the first country in the world to put it into our animal welfare laws. So sentience means or acknowledges that animals have emotions um, and and have experiences that matter to them. And that's what NAWAC has written on their website. And I, I love that as a kind of a bottom line. It, it's not whether or not they can really. I mean, they can. That That's... I think a lot of us understand that's kind of a given, right? Like if you've got a dog or a cat, uh, you you know them well, you understand that they um, they have a personality and they experience things. The really key point is, though, that those experiences matter to those animals. And that sort of underpins, you know, how we think about sentience. So it means that they can have both positive and negative experiences. They have preferences. Um, if you give them different opportunities, then, you know, some animals will choose one thing and some will choose another. Mm. But in and around sentience, there's also just fundamentally the idea that what we're talking about therefore is not just physical health, but also, um, for want of a better term, mental health. So all of those things I've just described relate to our, our or the pigs, animals, our, um, our mental well-being, our psychological health. And that's where um, it kind of lands with the idea that these crates have been non-compliant with the law, comes back to that idea about what would they choose to be doing? What are their normal behaviours that they're really driven to do that give them a lot of satisfaction and, you know, inverted commas, make them happy mm. <laughs> because they can do those behaviours? Uh, that's normal behaviour and that supports good psychological health. So being in a farin crate, as we talked about before, means they you know, they can't turn around, they can't mother, they can't nest build, and that, that underpins the reasons why NAWAC would consider um, farin crates to be non-compliant with the law. It's an interesting question because it kind of ties together a legal aspect, the the sentience of animals, uh, as well as you know what's going on within the environment that they live in. So we can have them produce pigs, we can keep their health reasonably good uh, in crates and in, in some ways actually improve health outcomes. But actually that's not that's not how we think about welfare these days. We have to be including that psychological health uh, to stay in front of the game. Right now, the Code of Welfare for Pigs is under review, as happens regularly, but it's being pushed to the front of the queue because of the contentious crates. Helen says the review makes no difference to their phase-out. The farrowing crates have to go because of the earlier court ruling. However, there are options within the review. The options that they're talking about in the Act around farrowing crates are a free farrowing system or what's called temporary crates. Those are a still a crated contained system. Instead of the bars running along the side of the sows and holding them in a restrained manner, if you imagine two hands going over the top of the sows and that they can um, open and close. Mm. So those temporary crates um, contain the sows through a slightly different mechanism. They do have more room. They are still unable to nest build while they're in the crates and they also can't turn around. In addition to that, though, regarding the nest building piece, there's also a bit going into, or 
a proposal in the code at the moment saying we also need to provide sows with um, nest building material and that they have to be given that before they actually um, start giving birth. But uh, yeah, just to be very clear, the option for ongoing use of farrow crates as we know them today is, is not one of the long-term options. Right, but okay. The, the, the time frame is, is still moot for the reasons we've talked about. One of the things that that the industry is saying is that if they have to stop using farrowing crates, New Zealand pig farmers are just, it, it, it's just not going to be a viable business anymore. We believe it's still the best solution for uh, piglet survival. We're currently doing less than 10% and we're worried that with the change we're going to increase they're saying that 60,000 piglets are going to die if the mother pig isn't held in these crates. She's going to end up killing them. What do you, what do you make of that argument? Mm -hmm. um, so firstly, in the analysis that was done, the figure ranged from, I think, something like 11,000 piglets to 60,000 piglets. So that's a very large difference. And of course, you know, one is much more impactful in a conversation than the other. Um, Either which way, we do need to be mindful of um, piglets and, and their welfare in this conversation. The economic analysis or the financial viability of these businesses going forward, um, you know, that is of concern too. So if there are, pe there are people in the system, people have children, they're part of communities, when businesses, you know, go broke or are no longer financially um, sustainable, it, it, it's a big impact for a lot of people. So that's, a, that's not a good outcome and nobody's looking for that. It is worth noting at the start of the code that uh, the ministers who have signed off on this draft code, uh, which is Minister O'Connor and Minister Faitiri, mm. say in, in the introduction that they will be seeking to work with farmers to support them financially for research in order to transition their businesses to a model that works and is compliant with the law. The Animal Welfare Minister, Mega Faitiri, said in a statement she acknowledges the proposals could mean significant changes for the industry and that she's committed to working with them. That's a very generous offer, I would suggest, given there has been decades of, of, of signalling from NAWAC that these crates are non-compliant and that changes need to be made. But ultimately, there has been... Uh, limited to no progress made around finding alternatives, despite the fact that alternatives are being found overseas. So I, I support this initiative from the government because I think this messy piece around what's happened, it's placing a huge amount of stress on farmers. And I'm very mindful that we live in an interconnected world, right? So if the, if the people are stressed, then we know that animals get treated differently. People treat their families differently when they're stressed and the communities are going to be affected too. Nobody wins in that situation. So I think we really are now looking for a strategic way through this. But I also would just put out there that I think the public will have limited palatability for industries that make no progress despite signalling and then expect to have government support them through change. This, this may be an extenuating circumstance. I support this for those reasons, but I just raised that as a, as a question to say, you know, choosing to do nothing for a long period of time and then expecting help. And they didn't expect it. It was offered, to be clear. Um, it, that is a challenging scenario as well. We, the direction of travel for animal welfare 
how we use animals, our engagement with whether it's a companion animal, a racehorse or um, a farmed animal, the, the movement and the conversations and the traction around these conversations are, are moving quickly at the moment. We just saw the Prime Minister talk about animal welfare on The Late Show. I've got a cold bin of, of beef for you. Thank you. <laughs> no, no leader of a country has ever said that to me before. <laughs> Um, it, uh, is, it is carbon-neutral beef, um, because a big part of uh, what New Zealand is promoting to the world is we want people to feel good about buying our products, and mm -hmm. so uh, we need our values to be embedded in them, and so our values around climate change, sustainability, animal welfare, it's all there in, in what we do now. You know, <laughs> it's happening at very high levels, and I think an industry body has a responsibility to make sure that they're in front of the game, they're behaving strategically, they're protecting um, their pig farmers in this instance and making good decisions to, you know, make sure that these businesses are viable going forward. And I think that's a challenge for not just the pig industry, but actually for, you know, all of the producers and, and, and their farming organisations in this country to really think strategically about how quickly um, that, that conversation around animal welfare is moving. I'll just give you one example around that. And that was supermarkets making a decision pretty much overnight to not stock caged eggs anymore. Mm. And that wasn't, you know, that wasn't an industry consultative decision. It was consumer led. And the supermarkets saw that actually the palatability from the public around having caged eggs in the supermarket had gone and they made a decision. There are strong signals that we've really got to get in front of the game and, and protect our industries. Right. So are you saying that if this resistance continues and the pig industry sort of pushes for delays to the end of farrowing crates, that consumers are going to become much more aware of it and will demand that their pork comes from pigs that aren't in farrowing crates. That will be part of the story, I think. Um, I, I feel because of the complexities of how we've ended up where we have, um, that in this particular instance, we do need to be mindful of appropriate transition times. And I'm, I'm not clear that that can be done safely before mm. 2025. And I'm not an expert in that, so I would take a lead from someone else. But again, we need to be really mindful if we're transitioning systems, we've got animals in the middle of it, and we want to make sure that their welfare is good and well protected and that there aren't perverse outcomes. For example, moving to systems where... The pigs don't know how to be in those systems, but also the stock people who manage them haven't managed those particular systems either. And that's, you know, that's not a criticism per se of, of um, pig farmers and, and, and their teams. But any system that's transitioned, you have to learn new skills in order to be able to run it efficiently and safely and do it well. And so there's going to be some upskilling that's required from both the pigs understanding what their, you know, what a new world might look like, mm. um, but also for the people who are working with those pigs. And again, Emma Baxter speaks to this in her paper saying, you know, there's three P's in, in getting good outcomes. It's pigs, pen and people. And so all of those things need to be considered as we make this transition to make sure it's done safely um, and that there are, as I say, no perverse um, outcomes. The pork industry claims the government has failed to consider piglet welfare and points out that the US, Australia and Canada use crates the way we do. It says of the 600,000 pigs born each year, 60,000 will die if farrowing crates are banned. New Zealand Pork says the crates stop piglets being crushed and a ban will decimate the industry because farmers will struggle to compete with cheaper imported pork. It'll force them out of business. None of those countries who are sending pork to New Zealand 
comply with the welfare standards that our farmers are having to meet. So what do you think is going to happen, Helen? Because is it going to be that we just end up eating only imported pork? Is that the risk that we're facing? I actually don't think that's a real risk. I think that's a good sort of shock narrative (laughs) that can be used. As far as uh, pork here in New Zealand goes, I think, you know, I really feel for um, pig farmers about this too. You know, we need country of origin labelling for imported pork products, not just raw bacon, but actually um, processed meats as well. We we shouldn't be encouraging import of that from from countries where we know that there are really significant welfare compromises. That's not acceptable. The big picture is that the, there's going to be a significant period of tension, relearning, and you know, it, and I, I don't know all of the pig um, farms well enough to know which ones will be resilient enough to get through that. But the big picture here is the government wants to support them. I'm presuming pig farmers still want to be farmers, and the pork industry wants to see their farmers be successful. So those are pretty big levers to you know, help people through this. The other thing I just want to mention, Sharon, is that there are actually also other farmers pig farmers in this country who don't run these systems and they are running free range or free farrowing. I just want to acknowledge them because actually they feel that they really don't get uh, a big voice in this conversation. And a lot of them are actually really supportive of the idea that actually crates have been and are illegal and don't meet the minimum requirements of the Act, that we ought not be using them and actually even, you know, moving to alternate um, systems as are proposed is, is not what these people do either. It's just, it's just worth noting that the pig industry is not one collective, you know, mm. organism. <laughs> there are multiple parts to it. I firmly believe that we can be both pro-farming and pro-animal welfare. The thing about animal welfare is that it's a journey. It's just taking little steps in the right direction all of the time and, you know, relentless forward motion. You, you, never, you never get to the goalpost because it just keeps shifting because we understand more and, and expectations change. Um, consumers want different things and that you know the consumers are a really powerful part of this um, conversation and becoming increasingly more discerning I might add so my bottom line around this is that I'm, I'm, I'm pro-farming where we can continue to make progress and sometimes there are big changes that need to happen around some big ticket risk items where there are poor animal welfare outcomes or poor environmental outcomes but that's always been the case you know, it used to be around how we raised our bobby calves and we've done a great job in improving bobby calf welfare. Now, that was kind of, it was probably about as big as this conversation at the time. And now, you know, we've seen our way through it. So, I mean, yes, there is conflict in the conversation. I think um, what people like me want to see is bringing uh, the animal welfare science to the conversation and saying, we get that it's hard, but actually strategically, we have to keep making progress because if we don't, our farming systems using farmed animals are going to be irrelevant because people won't want to eat our product or wear our product. Um, so I'm very passionate about it for lots of reasons. I love the beautiful wool products that we have in this country. I love meat. I love cheese. <laughs> you know, I want to make sure that I can still have access to those for as long as possible. Um, and, that, and that does mean continuing to push the welfare journey. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Helen Beatty. Kakite anō. anō.